Good morning, church family. I hope that you are doing well. I want to start off really quickly by taking the opportunity to celebrate some really, really good things. First and foremost, I, I want to send love and cheers and joy out to all of you for the staff that we have. I don't think you can comprehend all of the ideas and all of the encouragement and all of the fun and all of the smiles that our children's pastor, Sai, has brought to you, to me, to families over the last week to 10 days. There have been so many occurrences where her and Briley and Andy and others she's gotten to be with have just literally shared joy with our community and continued to reach out to our children and their families during this time. And Preston, even though he is not at this point in time uh, leading music and doing music, he has totally revamped his job and become our technical audio video coordinator. Every video you see, he has spent time working on, cutting, editing, recording, setting lights up for. He's doing his own to give us the songs that we had right before um, this video. And I can't lavish enough praise on God for sending those two to us. So if you have a chance, you probably ought to take some time and send an email, send a note, send a card, send a, a gift certificate or something to those two individuals for all that they are doing. Now, on top of that, another thing that we as a church family are getting to do is we find ourselves in a situation we didn't know that we'd be in, and God is helping to sustain us financially through all of you, and that has absolutely got to continue. But I am going to literally keep my hands open and say, God, we won't assume that this will stop. We will assume that all of the finances and all of the gifts and all of the jobs and all of the food is in your hands. And so as you give to us, we will give. And just um, Wednesday afternoon, the lady across the street at the Salvation Army called and said, you know, we're down to one or two more days of food. They're not going to bring deliveries to us. Um, I've always told her if she needed help that she needed to call, and they did. So uh, on Thursday, we were able to get a list from them of everything they need. On Thursday afternoon, they were able to take between 15 and 20 bags that a member of our congregation and her family had packed. And uh, on Friday morning, we were able to go to one of the grocery stores who made a pallet for us and get a pallet of food to take to the Salvation Army. You did that. You allowed that to happen. And I believe with all my heart that we must continue to do those things. As God provides for us, we will continue to provide for our community. And those are some things that I wanted to celebrate. So now, as we dig into the Word, we're going to be in chapter 3 of the book of Jonah, all right? couple of things to recap. Jonah is one of the prophets and one of the books of prophecy in the Bible, but it is the only book of prophecy that is not about what the prophet prophesied, but is about the story of 
the prophet because Jonah doesn't actually say or or preach a lot in the book. In fact, we're going to get to his sermon today, all right? And Jonah is also, to be real honest, not a very good prophet, not a very nice guy, not a very obedient servant, if you will. So he probably falls right into the category of a lot of us, all right, uh, who uh, struggle with uh, our uh, continual obedience to God when he asks us to do things that maybe we do not want to do. Um, we're going to be now in chapter three. Chapter one was the story everybody knows. Jonah runs away from God, doesn't want to do it. Uh, he ends up on a ship. There's a big storm. Uh, everybody knows it's on Jonah. And so the storm comes and they ask Jonah, um, what's going on? And he says, well, the Lord's doing this. Throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. The people on the ship repent and, and begin speaking to the Lord. Jonah gets swallowed up by a fish. Chapter two is the time in the fish. And Jonah gives this eloquent prayer to God. The problem is that he never really said, I'm sorry. He never really uh, did anything but blame the sea or blame the seaweed or blame the waves or even say, hey, God, this is on me. He didn't do that. So it wasn't a very repentant prayer. But he did say that if he survived, he'd do what God asked. And so God vomited him, the fish, vomited him back up on the shore. And he got up, and I'm sure there was some cleaning off there, and he heads toward the metropolis of Nineveh, and this is where we are. Jonah goes to Nineveh, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Remember, he disobeyed the first time. Came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Nineveh is a huge city. Between 100 and 125,000 people live in Nineveh. It was a three-day journey across Nineveh. It was a collection of cities, a collection of boroughs, a lot like we would imagine New York or, or Los Angeles to be, all right? Um, powerful city, but an unrepentant city, an, an evil city in the sight of the Lord. Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, here's what we need to understand about this message, all right? In Hebrew, which is the way this was written, this is a five-word message, all right? It's only five words. The whole sermon that Jonah preaches is only five words. And it's nothing like we would expect. You would expect this message that says, here's the evil you're doing. Here's why you're doing it. Here's how this goes against the God of all creation. Here's what God's asking you to do. And here is how you come back to him. But none of that happens. 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. That's all that he proclaims. But I want you to watch what happens. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Because of this five-word message, the people who heard this proclamation, all right, removed any clothing that they might have had and did the humble act, the humility act of 
covering themselves with sackcloth and kneeling or, or sitting or, or bowing down. It was just an, uh, an ultimate sign of humility from the greatest to the least. No one was excluded from this act. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, it says in verse 6, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. The king got into the dirt, and he issued a proclamation to all of Nineveh by the decree of the king and of his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? I love this line. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Oh my goodness. Look, 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 look. Look at this. All right. See how the progression of this goes a disobedient prophet of God, all right, finally relents and on a second chance obeys the Lord, okay? So he disobeys and then he obeys. But in his obedience, he preaches a five-word message that says 40 days from now, the city's going to be overturned, all right? The people hear the message and from rich to poor humble themselves. The message gets to the king and the kings and the nobles humble themselves. The king decrees that not only are the people of Nineveh going to humble themselves, but the, the animals are going to humble themselves. There's not a living thing in Nineveh that they don't put sackcloths on to go to all lengths, go to all reaches to say to God, we are sorry, we are humbling ourselves, our animals are humbling ourselves, our cows, our cats and our dogs are humbling ourselves. And then he says, and maybe, who knows, God may yet relent. I need you to hear that. The wisdom in this particular section comes from an evil king. I think we as Christians a lot of times have this expectation that if we ask for something because we're believers, God will give it to us. If we ask for him to um, get rid of the virus, he will give it to us. If we ask for him to um, uh, pay for something, he will give it to us. If we ask him, and, and God is not Santa Claus. God is good. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. God is and this king gets that. He has no guarantees that his people are going to be set free. He has no guarantees that the city is going to be saved. But regardless of the intent of the God, he is repentant. He calls for repentance. This is the total opposite of the prayer in chapter 2. The evil king shows us how we are to be in our times of sin and despair. We don't make excuses. We don't lay blame. We don't point fingers. We don't exclude everyone else. We call others to repentance with 
us. And we set the example for that repentance, not by telling others to do it, but by doing it ourselves. He uses his authority to call all people to a heart of humility and repentance. And whether or not God chooses or doesn't choose to, to, to save them, they still go about it. I love that. I'm reminded of the song that I, I, I mentioned a few, few weeks ago. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Your favor, Lord, is our desire. It's your beauty, Lord, that makes us stand in silence. Your love. Your love is better than life. And in this moment of repentance, I want you to see what happens. See, when a prophet prophesies, the idea is that God has told them what will happen and that what will happen does happen, all right? And so in 40 days, the city will be overturned. The expectation is that God's going to destroy the city of Nineveh. And Jonah actually kind of buys into that fact. He's okay with that. They're awful and evil people, and he didn't want to preach to them anyway. So he's going to be fine if the city is just burnt and, and destroyed and, and made into ashes and rubble. But that Hebrew word for overturned, all right, it can mean to be destroyed. But it can also mean to be flipped over, to be turned over or turned upside down. And that is exactly what happened. This powerful country gets on its knees. This arrogant nation humbles itself in the sight of the Lord. And everyone in it turns from their wickedness and cries out to God in repentance. So the sermon, the prophecy from the prophet of God actually does come true. And when God saw in verse 10 what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that had been threatened. He didn't destroy them as we thought the sermon might lead to, but they were turned around. Repentance brings compassion and forgiveness. And I don't want us as believers to, to ever get so complacent, get so caught up in the world, get so caught up in how good we think we are, or how high and mighty we think we are, how religious we think we are, and think for a minute that we are not a part of the all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will be lifted up in that, because ultimately this is all about God's glory. I need to go back to the very beginning when the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Obedience, obedience produces awesomeness. Obedience is a sign of love. Those who love me obey my commands. Obedience produces miracles. Listen to me. All throughout the scripture, all throughout the scripture, we see God's people hearing God's voice, turning from it and awful things happening. 
things do not go well. At the same time, all through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we see people obeying God, even the strangest of requests and miracles occurring. In John chapter 9, um, the man is, is clay and mud put on his eyes and he's told to go wash in the pool. And this man who walks over to the pool with mud on his eyes washes in the pool and his sight is restored. In John chapter 2, uh, where the water is turned into wine, the servants are told, fill the jars with water. And there's a semicolon there. And it says, so they filled them to the brim. They did what Jesus said, even when it didn't make sense. They took the ceremonial washing dirty water and God miraculously turned that into wine. Old Testament in Second Kings, uh, Naaman uh, was told to go wash in the river. He had leprosy. And he said, go get in the dirty and the musty and the stinky Jordan River. And don't just get in once. Get in, then get out. In, out, in, out seven times. And Naaman wanted to say, wait, wait, no. What are you, what are you thinking? But he obeyed God. And when he did... He was cured of his leprosy. Even the disciples who sometimes forget who they're dealing with in Luke chapter 5, all right, right when they met Jesus, there's no fish all night. And Jesus says, throw the net on the other side of the boat. Now, this is one side of the boat over here. This is the other side of the boat. If there's not any fish here, there's not any fish here. But they obeyed Jesus, threw the net on the other side of the boat, and they had what is called a miraculous catch of fish. There's more fish than they can handle. If we will obey his commands... If we will listen when he simply urges us to give, when he simply urges us to pray, when he simply urges us to serve, even if it's not what we wanted to do, even if it doesn't work in our schedule, even if it takes the place of something that we thought we were going to be doing, even if it's for someone we don't like, Jonah, if we obey God, we open up a streamline, a wealth, a, a waterfall of opportunities for miracles from heaven to occur right here on earth. I want to see miracles with you. I, I, I want to see Jesus move alongside you. I want to see Jesus move through you. So in this third chapter, we find God's call. We find a reluctant missionary's obedience. We find a very simple sermon. We find follow through from Christ. We find humility and repentance from sinners. And we find God doing what God always does, coming to seek and save the lost. And the Lord saw what they did and how they turned from their wicked ways and had compassion on them. May you find humility this week. And may God's overwhelming compassion, grace, and love cover you this week. I want to pray for you, and then we'll be finished. God, right now, I just cry out. And in my heart is a song uh, that that. I sang uh, with some friends on the road a long time ago. My heart is crying out, crying out to you. And my soul is longing for, longing for your truth. 
And the bridge went in my anguish, Lord, straight from the scripture. I cried out to you and you answered by setting me free. In my anguish, Lord, I cried out to you and you answered by setting me free. In my anguish, Lord, and I can feel it building. If we just cry out to God, his answer may not come in our time. It may not come in the way that we want it, but the answer will be full of compassion. It will be full of love, and it will, in fact, set our hearts free. I pray that for, for our church. I pray that for our families. I pray that for our communities. I pray that for you, that our humility will bring God's glory through his compassion on his people. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, and we'll see you soon.